Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 317 with Dr. BJ Fogg. I am so excited to share this exchange with you because, well... BJ Fogg is just so brilliant and has come up with a concept that I've been following and using and loving. He's done one of my favorite TED Talks of all time. And we're talking about forming habits, changing behaviors, how that's done. So you'll learn, one, why the tiny habits method is such a reliable pathway to behavior change. Two, the core recipe and three critical ingredients for a great habit. And three, how and why to celebrate repeatedly. So if you'd like to take a look at the show notes or the links or the transcript, that's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F317. Now here's BJ's story. Dr. BJ Fogg is a behavior scientist with deep experience in innovation and teaching. At Stanford University, he runs a research lab. He also teaches his models and methods in graduate seminars. On the industry side, BJ trains innovators to use his work so they can create solutions that influence behavior. The focus areas include health, financial well-being, learning, productivity, and more. Thanks to BJ for sharing some time with us, and thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. Here is BJ. BJ, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Hey, Pete. Thanks for having me. Well, I'd love to get oriented, first of all, when it comes to what you're doing when you're not coming up with brilliant research, which is being on the water with surfing (laughs) and paddleboarding. What's the scoop here? Well, I'm just really drawn to nature. And um, just in being in the water or on the water or by the water is a really calming, energizing thing for me. So, yes, I swim a lot. I don't do straight up surfing. I do surfing on stand up paddle boards, which is fun and terrific. And like yesterday in the river, I was swimming around with a mask looking at rocks. And I just think being in the water by the water is it's really important for my health. Cool. Well, great. And so when it comes to, to your health and, and that rejuvenation, you're, you're mm-hmm. pouring that into some, some, some great stuff at Stanford in your research lab. Could you, could you orient listeners a little bit to, you know, what is your area of research? Yeah, I'm a behavior scientist. And right now in my lab called the Behavior Design Lab, we're studying new models of human behavior and new methods of how to help people change their behavior for the better. If you rewind 20 years, I was just wrapping up a series of experiments about how technology, how computers could change our attitudes and behaviors. And that was 20 years ago, and I called it persuasive technology. There's a lot of attention in that area now, at least in the world. Um, but my work has moved on. It's about 10 years ago, we shifted away from that and looking more at just behavior in general, and especially habits and how habits work. Excellent. Well, so you, you've sort of built out a, a whole fog behavioral model. Could you, could you walk us through some of the tenets of that? Yeah. So in, in the work that I call behavior design, uh, it's a set of models and a set of methods. And models are ways of thinking about behavior. And I think the most important model, and I decided to put my name on it, that should <laughs> signal that I think it's important. I call the fog behavior model. And it's essentially this. It's, uh, it's behavior happens when three things come together at the same time. There's a motivation to the behavior. That's one. There's the ability to do the behavior, how easy or hard it is. And then there has to be a prompt. 
or a cue. I used to call it a trigger, but now I'm calling it a prompt. So it's motivation, ability, prompt. And when those things come together at the same moment in the right way, the behavior happens. From your TED Talks and, and others, I had Matt in my head, motivation, ability, trigger. Well, just because I'm a dork, let's, let's, why, why did you choose to, to go from a trigger to a prompt? Well, you know, I, I came up with the word trigger a long time ago, mm-hmm. uh, like probably 12 years ago. And I thought it was, I talk about hot triggers and cold triggers, and I thought it was kind of, it's a fun word. Yeah. Uh, But I always had to explain that by trigger, I mean the prompt or the cue. I don't mean what's motivating you. And so there was always this little bit of education I had to do around the word trigger. And for a few years, I thought, man, I'm going to change it to prompt. I'm going to change it to prompt. And finally, I took the leap uh, last year. And that means a whole bunch of talks that I've given, a whole bunch of other people that have referenced my work. There's kind of like a version 1.0 of the fog behavior model, and this is version 2.0. Okay, good to know. I, I, the dorky jokester in me almost <laughs> like, is it too triggering to say trigger in an academic? <laughs> um, <laughs> that be trigger triggering warnings? Triggering the wrong thing, triggering the wrong thing. Uh, <laughs> Misunderstanding. So, as you know, as you look at my work, I'm all about how do you make it easy to understand human behavior and how do you make it easy for people to change their behavior? And if there's something getting in the way, and it even can be a word like the word trigger, man, you got to fix it. Uh, and that's what I ultimately, I just owned up to that. And so now we're going to, we're going to take the word prompt and now that it's going to be clear and people aren't going to have to be trained on what that word means. Well, you know, it is a really clear framework. It really has changed kind of the way I look at at all sorts of behavioral change things, and and my and it seems so so simple and true that it strikes me as. But of course, this is the way. <laughs> but I guess Thanks. there's there's some alternatives, right? There's some some different models out there. Could you maybe? debunk some myths perhaps in terms of, you know, hey, we often hear the behavior change works like this, you know, but that's actually kind of incomplete or even misleading. Yeah. About 10 years ago, uh, kind of in a moment of frustration, the frustration was we were publishing these papers from my lab and people were emailing me and said, just give me a checklist. And I was like, no, our papers are eight pages. They're short. (laughs) But after I got enough of those, I sat down and said, okay, I'm going to make a top 10 list, the top 10 mistakes in behavior change. So I cranked it out. I ran it by my lab members. We made some revisions. We shipped it. We shipped it on, I think, SlideShare, you know, it's a set Mm -hmm. of slides. (laughs) It turns out, Pete, sadly enough, that is the most widely accessed and used creation from my lab ever. So this thing that I did in a moment of frustration, the top 10 mistakes, turns out to be the thing that well over a million people I have seen and they reference it and people replicate it and so on. Um, one of the top mistakes, I won't go through all 10, you can just find it online if you're interested, type in top 10 mistakes, behavior change. One of the top mistakes is to just think of the aspiration like, oh, I want to lose weight or I want to have more energy, I want to sleep better. And then make yourself feel guilty about not reaching the the aspiration. So there's two mistakes bundled. I mean, that's a fairly common thing where people just have this vague thing in their mind they want to achieve. And they think they can get there somehow magically or just by making themselves feel bad. And that's wrong. Or that's not optimal anyway, in at least two ways. Number one. You can't design directly for an aspiration like have more energy or get more sleep. You've got to break that down into specific behaviors. So you need to focus on behaviors that will take you to the aspiration. And then the other thing is 
usually the, the most reliable to, way to get a behavior to happen isn't about trying to motivate yourself and certainly not through guilt, but it's by making the behavior easier to do. So really what you want to do is figure out what behavior is going to take you to that, that aspiration and then how do you make it easy to do so you don't have to rely on motivation very much. And, and, and you mentioned that motivation is, is kind of pretty inconsistent or fickle, you know, day to day. Yeah. It, yeah. It's pretty slippery. Another model out there has to do with, are you ready to change? And for decades, people have tried to, uh, well, that, that has been perpetuated. And behavior design doesn't look at that question at all. The, it, it starts with the premise that everybody is ready to change in some way. You just have to figure out what way they want to change right now. So you don't have to wait around for somebody to be ready to change. Instead, you have to figure out what's their aspiration and what specific behavior are they willing to do right now to take them, take them to that aspiration. Okay. Well, and I'm also curious to get your take then when it comes to that, the aspiration and, you know, thinking about it and wanting it and guilt and, and, and that stuff, mm-hmm. not doing the trick. So I guess when it comes to, I guess, goal setting type standards or approaches, you know, yeah. or, or does, does that kind of mean that you are sort of with or, or I am going to offend people here let's do it. Let's or at do least it. make people think I'm crazy. I think you can change your life dramatically without setting goals and without tracking your performance towards the goals. So that is not, I mean, that's often packaged up with you must set a goal and you must track or you won't do it. And so on. And that's not necessarily true. We change all the time without putting down, even for the worst, better or worse, change is change, whether it's good change or whether you think it's bad change. You know, the word goal is an imprecise word, so I don't use it in behavior design. A goal can be an aspiration, a vague aspiration, like, oh, I want to get more sleep. A goal could also, or or it could be an outcome, like we want to increase sales in this company by 20%. Goal can mean either thing, and an aspiration and an outcome are very different. And so if you say the word goal or if somebody says the word goal, listen or ask questions to verify, are you talking about an aspiration or an outcome? What I've found is sometimes when you ask people to set goals, it actually discourages them or it scares them because they've done it before. And they know if they say, "Okay, I'm going to lose 15 pounds in one month, they know (laughs) they are setting themselves up to be to fail in a measurable way. So if I were coaching, and I don't coach people in weight loss, but if I were coaching people in weight loss, I would say, no, why don't you just figure out what behavior are you going to do every day involving nutrition and just do it every day and be stay tuned and watch how you progress. So you don't have to have an outcome goal. Instead, you're focusing on what you do every day. And if you miss one day, so what? Just do it the next day. Okay, excellent. Well, and so then what are your, your favorite tools in, in getting those behaviors to occur with that sort of daily or regular frequency is, is the tiny habits, which mm-hmm. I just love. So can you unpack, you know, what are tiny habits and, and how do they work? Wow. You know, I, I created this method called the tiny habits method, and it was a bit of an accident where I was just goofing around with my own behavior. And it started with me looking at the graphical version of my behavior model. It has two coordinates and it's you know two-dimensional figure that you can find online if you look at behavior model. And what that shows is if a behavior is easy, really, really easy, 
you don't need a lot of motivation to do it. Your motivation could be high or middle or low. And when I saw that on my own model, I was like, hmm, that's really interesting. So if I, instead of trying to floss all my teeth, what if I just floss one? And if I, instead of putting on all my sunscreen, just put on one drop, will I be able to consistently perform that very simple behavior? Floss one tooth, put on one drop of sunscreen. And it turned out the answer was yes. You can be very consistent. Um, and then I started, uh, there were 10 people I recruited and I called them Team Yoda and I coached them in the method and it went really well. And then at one point I sat down and wrote up a five-day program that I thought I would share with a handful of friends. Well, fast forward today, uh, Tiny Habits Method, which really emphasizes, make it really, really simple and find where it fits naturally in your life and revise if it doesn't work. So that. I've coached over 40,000 people now in that method, coached them personally through email, and it's grown in ways I wouldn't have imagined. And in fact, my forthcoming book is going to be called Tiny Habits. The broader scope is behavior design, but within behavior design, a special focus on the tiny habits method. Well, so could you give us a, a few examples of tiny habits and sort of the, the three components that um, kind of make them come together? Yeah, so what you do first and foremost, you take whatever behavior, let's stick with flossing, and you make it really, really small. Because the fact is flossing all your teeth does take some effort. And if you're not very practiced, it might be painful and you might see some bleeding and all those things are going to demotivate you in the future. So you just scale it back, floss one tooth. And then you find where does that tiny behavior fit naturally in my day? Specifically, what does it come after? And flossing is an easy one. It comes naturally after you brush. So then we call this a recipe in tiny habits. You create this phrase after I brush, I will floss one tooth. So you're specifying when you're going to do it, after what existing routine, and then what are you going to do? You're going to floss one tooth. And that's all you have to do. Now, of course, you can floss more. You can floss all your teeth, but the the requirement is just one tooth. So if you do one tooth and stop, you have succeeded. You tell yourself, I did a good job, good for me, and you move on. So the, the two pieces there are make it tiny, find where it fits, in your natural routine. And the third piece, and this is going to sound crazy to people, but this is really important, is what we call celebration. As you're doing the new habit or right after, you do something to make yourself feel a positive emotion. You might say, good for you, or you might give yourself a thumbs up or a high five or a smile in the mirror. What you're doing with that is you're firing off a positive emotion so your brain rewires and looks forward to doing that new behavior again. So in other words, I, I know it sounds crazy, but it's very effective. If you can fire off a positive emotion while you're doing the new habit or immediately after, then you are cementing, you're rooting the habit into your life. And that's what causes the habit to form. It's not number of repetitions. It's not utility. It's not other things that people have talked about for years. The bottom line in three words is emotions create habits. And in the tiny habits method, you don't leave the emotions to chance. It's part of the method. It's part of the technique of creating new habits quickly and easily. Yeah, that's, that's so great that emotions create habits. And it seems like some of the habits that I've fallen into, it, it's almost like I just happen to 
to get a great emotion from the thing. So I remember it was last Thanksgiving. I guess I just sort of woke up earlier for no good reason. And there was a treadmill. I was, I was at my, my mom's place. There was a treadmill. And I was like, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do some walking here. You know, it'd be hard to walk outside because it's still <laughs> sort of dark and it's cold. And mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm just gonna walk on this treadmill. And then sure enough, and, and I'm gonna drink some water. And I, and I felt pretty great. It's like, hey, you know, let's do that again. It was like, hey, that, that feels pretty great. And so that I, I just kept doing it until before I knew it, like that was the thing that uh, I really Good wanted to do always. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I, when, when we bought uh, our home and, and I got my little home office set up, it's like, well, well, where's the treadmill going to go? <laughs> it, <laughs> it, just because, you know, Chicago Yay. winter, it, it's, it's not so easy sometimes mm-hmm. to put on all the stuff and, and go out in, in this, the crunchy, cold, snowy environment. Uh, and, and that's just, that's more than enough to make me like, yeah, no, I, I just think maybe I won't right. do that. Right. Well, good for you. I mean, what I'm hearing in your story, and this is this this is a quality that you have that you may not have recognized. You allowed yourself to feel good. You allowed yourself to feel that positive emotion, and that you know you watch high performing athletes and they you know hit a good tennis serve or they make a three point shot. What are they doing? They're celebrating after it. They're they're raising their arms or dancing around or whatever. I believe high performing people are naturally good at celebrating behaviors that they want to become more frequent or they want to become automatic. Like you want that three-point shot to become automatic. You don't want to be thinking about it. And so as you watch sports moving forward, if you've, if you've thought I was crazy talking about celebrations, which will be most of you, next time you watch athletic performance, see what the top performers do when they do a behavior that they want to become more automatic or they want to repeat in the future. Now, a lot of people, and Pete, you may not be in this category, but a lot of people are very, very good at telling themselves they did a bad job, (laughs) but they're terrible at telling themselves they did a good job. And that's one of the challenges when people learn the tiny habits method. And certainly one of our challenges in teaching it is giving people permission to tell yourself you did a good job and helping them find the technique to fire off that positive emotion. And it's different, you know, not not everybody can go, good job, BJ, or give themselves a high five or do a fist pump and say, that's awesome. You have to find what works for you. Yeah, that's so good. Well, I want to dig into a a few examples here on all three of these ingredients, but the celebration and the the Mm -hmm. prompt and the action. And so for celebration, you know, while we're, while we're having some fun with it, I'll tell you one of my favorite little celebrations. (laughs) And I guess it's linked to my, my childhood of playing some video games like Mortal Kombat Perfect. in in which, you know, I, I, and and now that you're you're bringing this to mind, it's like, I should probably do this more consistently. It's, it's almost sort of like happenstance, but I will say, because in the video game, Mortal Kombat, if you defeated your opponent without suffering any damage, the announcer would say, flawless victory. Flawless victory. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, nice. And, and then your character would like bow. And so Love I it. will, yeah. from time to time, usually when I'm no one else is around, <laughs> you know, yeah. celebrate with flawless victory and, and then bow. And it really does feel quite good because it's one, I guess it's linked to... Uh, dominating uh, my friends <laughs> in, in video games <laughs> and, and kind of feeling, you know, skilled or whatever, you know, in that moment. And I'll it's just be, a little bit silly. It makes, it makes me yeah. giggle a little. Well, good for you. And so now you can use that as a deliberate technique. Anytime you do a behavior 
that you want to become more frequent. Like, let's say you leave sweaters on the, the cabinet in your bedroom. Well, when you take that sweater and put it away, you can say flawless victory <laughs> and kind of chuckle and feel good. And notice the next time you go to put it on the counter, you'll, your brain will go, wait a minute, let's put this away. And then I can hear flawless victory. <laughs> now, when I was, um, man, I've, I surfing, learning to surf. Uh, I had some uh, challenges learning to surf, you know, broke some ribs, separated, you know, oh, wow. every year something would happen. So finally I said, no more lay down surfing. I'm doing stand up surfing, stand up paddleboard surfing. And I finally nailed it this year. And what I found myself doing naturally is as soon as I caught a wave and just the feeling of catching a wave is amazing to begin with, I would say, you got it. You know, which is kind of crazy because other people might hear me say that, whatnot. But what I saw myself doing was I was affirming that you got it. This is what you do next time. And then, you know, I caught on and got pretty confident in catching waves. So there's lots of things I can't do surfing, but I did get to the point where I could go out and reliably surf. And, and that is like any other habit you want to bring into your life. You're not going to be perfect at the start. You're going to fall in just like you've fallen on surfing and you just keep going and you learn little by little and eventually you can nail it. Mm, excellent. Well, so I'd love it if we could just get a little bit of, well, I guess, no, a lot of, you know, a, a multiplicity <laughs> of examples in terms of, we, uh -huh. we said we had a few things for celebration. You got it. Yeah. Awesome. Flawless victory. Thumbs up. <laughs> high five. Could you, could you rattle off a few more uh, quick celebrations people can do? Sometimes it's woohoo. I like, and one of mine, I don't, I have, I, I have a, a range of them and I use different ones at different times. Uh, one will be a sound effect like, doo, 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 like, you know, the, the castle. I don't use this one, but some of the people I've, so we, we, we've trained and certified coaches in this, but some of them list go think ah, like the crowd cheering uh -huh. for them. One of mine, just my go-to one is like, way to go beach. I just say way to go beach to myself. And then I will, you shared something from your childhood, so I'll share mine. Uh, if I really need a powerful celebration, so let's say it's not quite a tiny habit, or let's say that I need to form the habit really fast, then I pull out the big powerful celebration. And for me, what it is, is I'm thinking of my fourth grade teacher, Mrs. Bondietti in Fresno, California, and she says, you did a good job. Awesome. <laughs> For whatever reason, that's really powerful. And I imagine her saying, you did a good job. And that fires off the emotion in me. You know, what, what I love about these is that they're so varied. And in a way, I kind of delight in the, the weirdness or, or the eccentricity of it because it, it, it's personal and, and, it's, and it's vulnerable. But I, I guess maybe this is a Maybe here's a book in here somewhere, but it seems like to achieve kind of great results and things, it seems like you can either, you know, put a lot of time, energy, effort in something, you can spend a lot of money on that something, or you can just do something very different and slash weird <laughs> in terms of like your paths to victory. Oh, and I would much yeah. prefer the weird path than the expensive path. Well, I tend to be a real goofball. So doing things like celebrating was natural for me. And then when I taught the method, I found it wasn't natural for everybody. But I, 
I know this tiny habits method will sound strange to some people, but you know, step back and look at the traditional ways that you've tried to change your behavior and evaluate. Did those work? Probably mm-hmm. not very well. So this method is about making it really easy. It's easy to start. It's easy to do consistently. That really matters. And when you fail, I don't really use that word. When you don't do floss one tooth, when you don't do the two push-ups, it's not a very big issue. It's like no big deal. It's like a baby taking a stumble. And also, one of the things I learned later about the method was because you're changing your life gradually, it doesn't prompt people around you to sabotage you. Mm. And I did not know that happened until I started doing a little more work with Weight Watchers and the reality there, unfortunately, and it happens more broadly than that, is sometimes when somebody tries to change in a big dramatic way and they announce it, people, and I don't know if it's malicious or well-intended, they'll say, well, you're going through a phase or here's the last time you tried this and so on. And sometimes the sabotage is active, which is really unfortunate. Mm. But, you know, if you are just doing two push-ups every time after you pee, or if you're just flossing one tooth and eventually flossing all your teeth, and if you're taking care of your skin, and you just kind of ninja redesign your life in ways that eventually people will notice, but nobody will step in right away and sabotage you. Like, I hope it hasn't happened to many people listening to this, but it is a reality. There is a a social factor of non-support that can happen when you try to transform your life. Yeah, that's true, and it's and it's unfortunate. But picking up on the on the the strange element for a second, though, when you said the crowd goes wild, you know, raw, <laughs> you know, yeah. in a way, you know, that seems so natural because I, I think as a child, this is just something I did all the time with regard to. I yeah. even play a lot of sports <laughs> as a kid, but it, it's sort of natural to sort of sort of imagine that scenario in the crowd going wild. And and I think that if you rewind and, and reflect upon childhood, you know, these sorts of, of yeah. celebrations were, were just normal par for the course. I think you're exactly right. You're exactly right. And I haven't studied it scientifically, but it does seem that as kids, uh, we were natural celebrators. And at some point it got pushed out of us. And in some countries, when I share this, they think I'm insane. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's a crazy California woo-woo thing. But if you look at babies. And I've gone online to watch babies start learning to walk. As they do something like walk further, sometimes they will clap their hands or they'll shake their arms like, look what I, you know, I think they are reinforcing the walking behavior. And I think it's hardwired into them. And if the mom or dad is there also cheering them on, they're accelerating, creating the habit of walking, you know, doing the movements that lead to successful walking. So if you look at what athletes do, You look at how babies learn to walk, just go to YouTube and type in baby learning to walk. You will see, you know, what we're calling celebration. It's that emotional uh, wiring in of a new behavior. Yeah, that, that's that's powerful, and you know, we we have a five month old at home, and and so, and I'm seeing this too when when he successfully rolls over, uh, particularly from the front. I'm getting my front, my mm. sides mixed up. He's lying on his stomach and he goes to his back. That's the tougher one, it seems. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he built, he, he'll look right at us and smile. So it's like, yeah, <laughs> something, something significant has occurred here. And, and uh, you know, we, we celebrate it. You know, if people can embrace that, if people can say, wow, 
That's how tiny habits is a way to change your life through feeling successful. And that matters. And by being playful and by not getting all tense. The, the old traditional way is, oh, you've got to get all wound up. And if you don't do it, then you failed. And here's a black mark on the calendar. And, and you t- it's, it's about getting you to change through making you feel guilty. Uh, and I'm kind of exaggerating that a little bit. But the point, one of the takeaway points is you change better when you're playful, when you're flexible, when you recognize your successes. And the things that don't go as you intended, don't worry about it. Just move on. That's great. Well, so we covered, uh, again, a a numerous sets of options for a celebration. I'd also Mm -hmm. like to hear when it comes to the prompt, we've heard after you brush your teeth or or after you you pee, you know, what are some other great prompts that are just um, superb uh, hooks or, or places to put a tiny habit? Well, anything you do reliably. So just watch yourself. Uh, what do you? What are the routines you do every day? And you could even make a list of those. And then when you find something like, oh, I turn on the shower every day. Oh, that means I could insert a behavior right after that routine. What might it be in my own life? And I will answer questions about you know what the prompts are in my own life. What I find fits right there is after I turn on the shower, I think about one aspect of my body for which I'm grateful. So it can be even something quite abstract, like that my skin stretches or that I healed this little cut or something like that. So just watch what you do every day. Typical ones are you get, you put your feet on the floor and there's a tiny habit for that. You pee, uh, you brush your teeth, you start the coffee maker, you start the dishwasher, you, you buckle up in the car or you sit down on the train, etc. So anything you do reliably can be the prompt the thing that reminds you to do the new to do the new habit that you want now in the tiny habits method we call that an anchor your existing routine i decided to call an anchor because i thought well here's this stable thing in your life that you're attaching the new behavior to so you know getting out of bed in the morning is you know, a stable thing. Pretty much everybody does that. And pretty much everybody pees in the morning. Pretty much everybody, you know, not everybody gets in a car, but, you know, start the coffee maker and pretty much everybody brushes your teeth. And so that's a great anchor, the thing that serves to prompt flossing. Excellent. And so then when it comes to the the actual action, you know, there, there are so many, anything you could dream of that, that you'd like done and that's tiny, uh, but I'd love to get your take, you know, coaching 40,000 people. What are some of the, the, the tiny actions that just have sort of profound ripple effects? Yeah, yeah. Superpowers. Yay. Well, one, and I did a whole Ted talk just on this one is as soon as your feet hit the floor in the morning, as soon as you stand up or touch the floor, say, it's going to be a great day. So those words, it's going to be a great day. Seven words. Even if you don't believe it, say it. And what you'll find is it changes the trajectory of your day. So that's one of those things that a lot of people do it. And I devoted a whole TED Talk to it because I felt it was so important. And people get back in touch with me all the time saying, oh, my gosh, you've changed my life. In fact, in one case, a woman said, you saved my life with I call it the Maui habit, you know, you know, it's going to be a great day. She said, you saved my life with the Maui habit. Wow. Another one, totally different category that I would 
suggest is work in two push-ups or two squats into your day. And a good place to put those is after you pee. So most people, I, I, did the res- I didn't do the research. I looked up the studies on this and people pee about seven times a day. And so let's say five of those times are during daylight hours. That means you get to do, so my tiny habit recipe is after I pee, I will do two push-ups. And I've been doing that for years now. And I've done a lot of push-ups and I've gotten a lot stronger. Some people, uh, and I work mostly from home, so mm-hmm. I, I don't do it at Stanford. I don't do it at public buildings. And you can do more than two. Like, you know, today I started out with 15. Yesterday I might have done 25, first thing in the morning. But like today I got down to do two push-ups and the phone rang. I finished the second one. I picked up the phone and it was like, I did it, right? So yeah. in the tiny habits mindset, the tiny behavior is always okay. If there's some reason that I only floss one tooth, and if there's some reason I only get two push-ups done, yay, good for me. I got it done, and I don't sweat it. So push-ups or squats, that is uh, a really helpful thing. So one is kind of a mindset shift, and the other one, there's something about push-ups that people tell me it's a gateway exercise to doing other things. So that would be a couple that I'd put really high on the list. Oh, and of course, flossing. That goes without saying, floss. Your dentist will love you. Well, and, and are there some more? You know, let, let's keep it going. I'm, I'm wondering maybe about uh, hydration. You know, that could be yeah, easy so, and powerful. What I've got right here is there a glass go. of water. And so at a certain point in my morning, after I put down my breakfast plate, I fill a glass with water and I walk in and put it here. I don't have my little bowl of vitamins here because I've already taken them. So I've returned it. So there's a time when I, it's not take the vitamins, it's put the vitamins in a little dish. Because I find that actually taking the vitamins is too hard. The tiny behavior there is what we call a starter step. Just get the vitamins, put them in a dish, and then I put it here on my desk. And then at some point during the day, I don't know, I just take them during the day when I'm drinking the water. So I get that done. Certainly, there's this isn't quite a tiny behavior, but I go into, I've created a gym in my garage. So every morning I go out there and do a specific thing, depending on what I'm working. First thing in the morning, even though my real workout happens in the afternoon, right now I'm getting onto a vibration plate (laughs) made by Bulletproof that vibrates at 30,000 seconds or 30. I don't know what it does. It just vibrates you like crazy. And I decided I wanted to do that for a period of time to see how it goes. So I just, you know, in the morning I go do that. And if, I go for five seconds and I've had enough. I get off. Uh, but it never ends at five seconds, really, though I could and be okay with it. It usually expands and expands. And now I'm doing all sorts of things on the vibration plate from push ups to squats to uh, I was even doing yoga yesterday on it, you know, like keeping one part of my body on the plate for any kind of yoga move. And that was interesting. So, I, so maybe that's not the best example, but maybe the takeaway there is play around with your behavior, be flexible, explore, have fun with it. You don't have to be perfect. And if someday you don't want that habit, like someday say, yeah, I don't want to do the vibration plate anymore. That's fine. Let it go and do something else with that. Uh, Basically, it's real estate. With that real estate in your day, 
you know, you can do something else with it. I like the notion of real estate there because it kind of reminds me if I'm sort of organizing or or cleaning a space, there are times in which you find that something just fits perfectly. Like, um, Mm -hmm. you know, these Tupperware storage containers are absolutely perfect when stacked and rotated in this way, put on that shelf. And so, aha, that's where they fit. That's where they belong. And, and it just, it just works forever. And it's kind of, for me, even though I'm not super tidy, <laughs> it's kind of exhilarating when you say, ah, yeah. that is where yeah. that fits perfectly and where it belongs. And so it shall be. And so to, to liken your own day and behavioral landscape similarly, totally makes sense. Yeah. And that's exact. That's right on, right on. Let me go a little further with that. You know, people often ask, how long does it take to create a habit? And I don't know why people ask that because there's no simple answer. If you pick a tiny behavior you want, and if you find where it fits in your day naturally, that habit will just click. It will just come together and it will feel like magic. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm doing these push-ups just without thinking, or I'm tidying my desk, or I'm flossing, what what, what have you. Now, if it doesn't, so if, if you create a recipe, if you think, oh, I'm going to put push-ups after breakfast, after breakfast, I'll do push-ups. I can pretty much tell you that's not going to work well for a few reasons. But let's say you do that and it doesn't work. Revise. Don't get down on yourself. Don't feel guilty. Don't put a post-it note up to remind you. Just go, oh, I put it in the wrong spot of my day. Let me find another spot. Just like you would if you put a chair, you bought a new chair and you bring it into your living room and you put it somewhere and it's like, that didn't really work there. You move it somewhere else. And you go on with life. You don't get down on yourself. You put the chair in the wrong spot. You you revise and you revise and you revise till you find the right spot. Perfect. Well, I want to get a quick tidbit from you. And this could probably be a whole nother interview. But when it comes to, we talked a lot about behavioral change internally, you know, for yourself, mm-hmm. one person. If you want to encourage behavioral change in, in others or in work and at teams, <laughs> you know, what, what are some of the, the best practices? Oh. Let me split this into two buckets. And one bucket we won't go to unless you tell me to. If you're trying to get people to change in ways they don't want to change, yeah, there's approaches to that, but let's not go there unless you really want me to. So let's take the other one where people are open to change or they want to change. What you need to do in that case is match them with a behavior or a new habit that will help them reach their aspiration. So let's say somebody comes to you and says, oh, I just really want to be more productive. Okay, that's an aspiration. Well, you you have the opportunity at that point to give them a very specific behavior that would help them be more productive. Now, there are dozens, if not hundreds of options in the specific behavior. And that's where the art and the genius of behavior change comes in. And I call it behavior matching. You need to match that person with a behavior, number one, that will take them to their aspiration. So there's three characteristics. Number one, it needs to lead them toward their aspiration, say, of being more productive. Because if it doesn't have impact, then it's a bad match. Number two, it needs to be a behavior that they want to do, or at least part of them wants to do. Don't match them with something they don't want to do. And number three, it needs to be a behavior they can do. So notice those last two. One is they need to have motivation and they need to have ability. So notice the requirements or the two, two of the three characteristics for behavior matching is make sure they have some motivation for it and ability. And then, of course, you know, it needs to have impact. It needs to 
lead to their aspirations. So if you can match people effectively, you don't have to worry about motivating them because they already want to do it. Then all you have to worry about is what's going to prompt the behavior. You know, what's going to remind them to do the behavior. In the tiny habits method, you find an existing routine. Uh, but there are other ways to prompt or remind people. Perfect. Well, BJ, tell me, anything else you really want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? Well, I'm surprised I'm saying this, but I will. One, I I looked at over some research that had about 3,000 entries of how people, habits people wanted to stop. And it listed their habits and how they felt about it and so on. And I skimmed through it. And when I got to the end of that, I was like, oh, my gosh, people are so hard on themselves. They're so worried about the smallest little habits that are like no big deal. So I guess, and this is becoming a bit a bigger part of my work, which is, I guess, why I'm bringing it up now. People just need to have more compassion for themselves and more, man, just don't set your, don't, don't expect yourself to be perfect. And, and I'll expand it out a little bit more, especially in today's world, in today's climate, of fighting and discord and harshness. There's got to be a group of us who are more compassionate and understanding and accepting of those around us. And we need to do that for ourselves as well. So just, I guess, in some ways, lighten up, in some ways, lower your standards or be more patient with the process of change. Just have, here's the metaphor I'm writing into my book. So I'll share this. So here's this little baby that's just learning to walk and she's taking these small steps forward. And once in a while she tumbles and she gets up. When the baby tumbles, you don't get mad at her, right? Right. She just gets back up and progresses. So view yourself as that little baby that's trying to do this hard thing, like eat differently or sleep better or exercise consistently. And you're just taking these little baby steps. You're learning how to make it work. You're going to have tumbles. Don't get down on yourself. Just realize that's part of the process and just get up and keep going. How about a favorite book? Well, the book I'm reading right now, I have many, many, many favorite books, but the book I just picked up that I'm reading is called The Natural Navigator, The Rediscovered Art of Letting Nature Be Your Guide. And it tells you I mean, it's terribly impractical for everyday life, but uh, again, it's like connecting to nature theme. It, it tells you how do you find your way and navigate your way in the world if you don't have any instruments and how to use the wind and the sun and the stars and all of that. And it's just fascinating. Thank you. And how about a favorite tool? Oh, wow. Many, many, many favorite tools. One of them, I'll, I'll pick a behavior change tool. One of them is a little timer that I have that's very, very easy to set. And so if there's something that I'm procrastinating, like looking over a legal document or filing my finances or things I don't like, I take the timer and I set it for three minutes or seven minutes. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to file these papers for three minutes. And as soon as the timer goes off, I can stop. Mm -hmm. Now, what happens is almost always, once you get going, you keep going. But see, you trick yourself with this tool into getting started. That's good. Now this timer. Is it a, how do I get it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I will send you, I will send you a link to it. It's, it's a little kitchen timer. It's a very, very small one. One of my students just sent me a different timer. I happen to have it right here. That's a cube. And I'm playing around with this. And as you turn the cube, it has one, this one has one, five, 10 and 15 on it. As you turn it on its side to one, it starts and it mm. flashes. 
And then when it's done, it will go up and you set it upright and it ends. So I'm goofing around with this, this new, because he sent it to me. It's like, this is even easier than your timer. And he, he knows that I'm obsessed with simplicity. So I'm trying this one. Mm, cool. Thank you. And tell me, is there a particular nugget that you share that really seems to connect and resonate and get folks retweeting and repeating it back to you? Well, one of the surprises was after I read the research on how hard people are on themselves, I just said, man, maybe we all just need to lower our standards a little bit. And people really resonated with that. There is just so many people are feeling defeated and you know, just beaten down and so on. And social media is not helping. So, you know, just kind of remember what I said about three minutes ago about you don't have to be perfect and, you know, just have compassion for yourself and just recognize your successes and don't let your failures get to you. Perfect. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Uh, BJFog.com is the kind of the launch point. You know, from the, you can go to tinyhabits.com uh, as well. Uh, but if you go to bjfog.com, eventually it points you out to other places. And yeah, there's stuff there about how behavior works, behavior design, tiny habits, some pointers to my earlier projects I had to do with experiments around computers, influencing people's behavior and so on. All right. And do you have a final challenge or call to action you'd issue to folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Yeah, here it is. Write down an aspiration you have. You may think of it as a goal, whatever you want to call it. Write it down and then spend five minutes and come up with specific behaviors that would lead you to the aspiration. So let's say you want to be a better public speaker. I want to be a bit, write that down and then think, well, what behavior could I do that would lead me to become a better public speaker? Might be watch TED Talks, read a book on public speaking, sign up for, to give presentations at work, and hire you know, a, a speaking coach, and so on. So come up with 10 or so behaviors and then choose one or two and execute on those. What you've done in that exercise is you've gone pretty quickly through the behavior design flow. What's the aspiration? What are the behavior options? Don't just guess. Come up with a bunch and then match yourself with one or two of those and then move forward on those. Perfect. Well, BJ, thank you so much for taking this time and, and sharing the goods. It's, it's been inspiring for me and, and everyone I've, I've shared it with individually. So it's great to be able to do this on a, on a bigger scale here with the, the whole listenership. So it's been a treat. So thank you. And, Keith, and thanks so much. much. Thanks so much. My favorite part of this interview is when VJ said, I put the vitamins in a little dish because I find that actually taking the vitamins is too hard. And that's my favorite for a couple reasons. One, because it renewed my interest in vitamins. And so I did an obscene amount of research to discover if they're really worthwhile. And I believe that they are in terms of combating mental fatigue, etc. So anyway, but more so because when he says putting vitamins in a little dish was the habit because taking the vitamins is too hard. It's like, wait a second, taking vitamins is too hard, really? It's, it's, it's a pill. But I think that's the whole point is that BJ Fogg is clearly a brilliant guy, highly accomplished, achieved much, and he has noticed that he's got to make the habits tinier to get that persistence and that formation of the habit that's really sticking and making the difference. So if you are subject to any of the 
go big or go home. You got to take massive action, kind of a school of thought or intensity. I think this is just a a huge reminder in terms of uh, bringing a little bit of humility into the process. Does great things in terms of forming a habit that actually sticks because it's not too big and and you takes root and then it grows. You can just add tiny habit to tiny habit to get uh, massive results over time. So such good stuff. Hope you loved it. And again, if you want to check out the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced, it's at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep317. And if you haven't already, I hope to push subscribe. You'll hear from our next guest. It is Megan Lyons. Speaking of vitamins and health stuff, Megan is a true expert when it comes to health and nutrition and coaching and behavior change and what it takes to really fuel your body and to just be all the more brilliant and alive and energetic when you're doing your work. And she comes at it from a real evidence-based perspective as opposed to a lot of platitudes or fads or or shifting or always trying to to sell you a supplement of some sort. So I think Megan is great for demystifying that world and giving you the practical wisdom to bring all the more energy to each of your work days. Hope to catch you there. Peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.